Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to better understand and defend your faith the same way Jesus did. I have the privilege of having a long-time Ambassadors Forum member on the show again with me today, Herb Gray. Herb is a close friend and fellow apologist and really one of the founding members of the Ambassadors Forum. He is an Oregon lawyer with over 26 years of litigating free speech, religious liberty, and conscious cases arising under the U.S. and Oregon constitutions, including defense of traditional marriage, parents' rights, the transgender agenda in public schools, and the sweet cakes by Melissa case. He's a member of the National Board of Directors of the Christian Legal Society and has long been an allied attorney affiliated with Alliance Defending Freedom. Herb has practiced before Oregon Trial and Appellate Courts, the U.S. District Court for Oregon, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the United States Supreme Court. Herb, welcome to the show. Hey, Roy. It's good to be with you. Well, I have interviewed you on this show before, and you've actually recorded several of your own episodes with your son, Joel. I think you guys did book reviews a while back. And here we are. I'm interviewing again. Thanks for being. You're awful irresistible, Roy. So, uh... <laughs> well, Herb, you hosted a recent training forum that our ministry had. The topic for the night was called A Biblical Response to Cancel Culture. Can you tell us a little bit about that subject? Give our listeners just a little bit of a preempt on the subject, the content of a biblical response to cancel culture. I have to say this was probably one of the toughest talks I have prepared in a long time. Hmm. And yet that was a positive thing because God gave me some insights on how to address it in a way that not only represented good practice for apologists, but also helped me with an area, I would say, in my life Hmm. that I'm not sure I'm very good at. Hmm. So God kind of worked on me in the course of putting it together, which was, I think, a good thing because it enabled me to invite listeners to say, well, you may be great at this or you may be terrible at this, but we all can use practice figuring out how to have a conversation with people who may not agree with us Hmm. and keep a conversation going in a civil and respectful manner. Hmm. I know a lot of people are struggling with that exact concept, feeling like they get canceled before the conversation even starts, which is really unfortunate because to me, there are a lot of difficult subjects in our culture today. And if there was ever a time that we need to have open, honest dialogue and conversations together, it's now. I really think it's really unfortunate that it is such a hostile environment that we find ourselves in. 
people are so trigger happy to really just come at each other aggressively. And I like how you talk about not only a kind approach to this cancel culture, but a biblical approach. Help us understand, what do you think the Bible has to say about how to have good conversations, how to keep an open mind? Well, one of the verses I shared in the talk, which I think is pretty important at the outset, I believe it was uh, James 1.17 that says, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. You know, for somebody in my line of work, it's sometimes hard to say, I'm actually going to listen to somebody more than be thinking about what I'm going to say after they're done talking. (laughs) But that's good advice, I think. And if we approach people sort of with an open, gentle spirit, I think a lot of times it helps to defuse the natural inclination to go into attack mode on both sides. Mm. I have friends that we don't agree with each other on much of anything when it comes to either theology or even a lot of the topics of the day. But we have been friends for a long time and we can have a civil conversation about those things. Mm. And part of it is that we never give off the vibe that we want to win at all costs. And I Mm. think that's important for us when we encounter people, there are certain folks that will not want to get along in any way, shape, or form. But I would say the vast majority of people, if you start looking for common ground and try and have a conversation that starts with questions Mm. rather than speeches, Mm. it makes it easier, I think, for us to have a conversation that goes someplace. When I was talking about this, I commented that I drew some inspiration on this from Greg Kokel with Stand to Reason, Hmm. who's a big advocate of asking questions, and some other people. But one of the people I pointed out as a great example was Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you can do any better than him. But um, (laughs) So I commented about the fact that when he was trying to talk to people, he didn't get all theological on him. He told Hmm. parables if he was talking to regular folks and talked to them in a way that they could relate to. And then at other times, he asked people questions. So like if he was hanging out with the disciples, he would ask them questions to provoke a conversation with them and and teach them. So one of the classics is he commented in one of the Gospels about people say that I'm this or that or another thing. Who do you say that I am? Hmm. And it led to a really good conversation. Conversely, there were times when he was talking to the Pharisees who kind of came at him with gotcha questions. And he responded with gotcha questions. (laughs) He kind of outdid them at their own game. Yeah. But I think what that tells us is that he read the situation. He tried to have a conversation with people. And for those who were mean-spirited about it and didn't really want to have a conversation, he knew how to deal with that too. Yeah, in my little introduction, when I say, you know, our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to better understand and defend your faith the same way Jesus did. I think some people think, well, but that was because Jesus was Jesus. Like he was the son of God and he knew everything and he was all powerful and he didn't give me an example. He just showed me the perfect way, but there's nothing I can learn from what he did. And I like what you pointed out, Herb. I think there's a lot we can learn from Jesus's tactics, his approach, his methods, There's lots of times when he asks questions 
and clarifies things, focuses on the truth. One of my favorite examples is in Matthew 22, where the Sadducees are having a discussion with Jesus. And they, like you said, Herb, they try and trap him. They say, hey, you know, what if a guy has no children and gets married? He dies and then his brother has to marry his widow and then he dies and his brother has to marry a widow. And it had to do with kind of an Old Testament Jewish law about a brother of a guy who dies marrying a wife and raising up seed in his name. And so they asked him this complicated question and he's like, okay, so in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Uh-huh. See, got you there. And I love how he did something very important here. He says in the very beginning of his answer, he doesn't try and answer their question. He's like, you know what? You're wrong. You're wrong because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And I'm not going to read the rest of it. If you guys are interested, read Matthew chapter 22, verses 29 through 33. It's a pretty cool little exchange. But basically he says, you know what? There is a faulty assumption in what you're saying. And you guys should know better because you guys claim to be teachers of the law. And you ought to have read this and understood the book that you're claiming to teach. You don't know your own scriptures. And then he points out one of their errors in their thinking. But he does it in a respectful way. He does it in a very knowledgeable way. And so I thought, boy, how many times are we in conversations with people where they start the conversation with a falsehood. And if we don't go back and say, actually, hold on a minute. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'm glad that we're talking, but I can't let that falsehood, I can't let that lie stand unchallenged. We need to go back and fix that first and then continue on in our conversation. And then at the end, you'll notice the scriptures record that Jesus dropped the microphone. (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly so you had this difficult topic you know how do we respond to cancel culture what's the biblical response how do we as christians approach this i thought it went wonderful there is a little over 30 people in the audience there live we had another 30 some odd um, online I thought the engagement was fantastic. I thought everybody was really equipped. It was very practical. Talk a little about how your approach this time in this training session was a little bit different and how you tried to engage the audience that was there. Well, one of my you know professional deficiencies is lawyers get paid to talk <laughs> and not generally to listen. So the first paradigm shift was We're trying to talk about having conversations with people, which requires us to listen. Mm. And part of the practice for people being able to do that is to actually model it in the talk. So the first thing that I did was to say, this needs to be conversational, and I need to invite input from those listening. Mm. So it wasn't just me being a talking head. It was saying, okay, to put feet on this, we're actually going to do what I'm proposing. Mm. So what questions would you ask? And I picked a number of kind of hot button topics and I provided some background information trying to kind of get people thinking about stuff. And then I said, okay, what questions would you ask if you're in a conversation with somebody? And 
I had some questions that I had teed up in case things got awkward, but uh, <laughs> I needn't have worried because on all of those, people popped right up with good questions, which tells me that if we stop and think about this and maybe practice a little bit, even people who are not terribly familiar with doing it will be perfectly capable of doing it. So that was, I think, a really good takeaway from the whole experience was actually giving people the chance to do it and to see that it works. Mm. My own thought is, particularly over the time that I've dealt with these kinds of things, both professionally and in my personal life, if you kind of drill down a little bit, you figure out that some of these untruths or misstatements or inflammatory types of things that often start these conversations really are just nuts. I mean, there's not... A, <laughs> There's not a whole lot that you could put behind them. So, for example, one story I told in my first experience with cancel culture was talking about representing a street preacher down at Pioneer Square. Mm. And, you know, he followed all the rules and he'd stand there and he would share the gospel, you know, out loud. Mm. And people who went to a public place to have their lunch <laughs> approached the security guards and said, shut that guy up because I don't want to listen to him, even though I'm in a public place. <laughs> in other words, what they were saying was, I want to be left alone, even though I have sought out a public place where there's a bunch of other people around. <laughs> so anyway, it's situations like that where if you kind of approach it respectfully and say, hmm. now seriously, you don't really think that you can make everybody in a public place do whatever you want or refrain from doing what you don't like. You know, and the conversation can kind of go from there. If there's any encouragement we draw from this is if we stop and think about what people are saying and kind of drill down and ask them some questions. Mm. Number one, we figure out many times that they don't have a whole lot to back up why they said what they said. Mm. Number two, one of the, my main goals in the talk was to say, you know, most people don't give Christianity any credit for being anything other than a barrier or mm. hindrance. Mm. And actually what people want may be delivered better by the gospel of Jesus Christ mm. and looking at God's word. And if they gave it a chance, they'd go, hey, that's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. There was a lot of people in the audience. And when you started soliciting feedback, you got all kinds of responses. And so there were a lot of people who knew the answer, or at least, you know, were comfortable giving it a shot. Why do you think so many people are intimidated when they go out into society? Most people are not in a public forum where somebody's yelling and they're yelling back and it's really confrontational. These are conversations with coworkers over the cafeteria table or a phone call with a brother or a sister or a loved one or your neighbor. Why do you think so many people are so scared and intimidated by these conversations and not even willing to try when it seemed like in this forum, lots of people had lots of great ideas about how to approach it? Well, I think there's an easy explanation for that, particularly in the workplace. You know, I cited a statistic that 62% of the people in the workplace felt like they had to self-censor because they were afraid that they were going to get in trouble for saying something. Hmm. 
And even if you're having a conversation in the lunchroom with a coworker, everybody knows the stories of the boss finding out and saying, what are you doing? Hmm. And there being some sort of a sanction for that. So I think there are certain settings where people understand there could be real life consequences. Hmm. I could be in trouble with my job. Hmm. And then if you're a university student who's in class Hmm. and the professor says, God is dead. You know, I cited the example from the God is not dead movie. Right. Where the professor says on day one, everybody take out a piece of paper and write on there, God is dead, and turn it in. Oh, and by the way, you have to sign your name to it so I can be sure that everybody agrees. (laughs) That's a pretty intimidating environment for people to do something. It's a different deal if you're talking with friends or you're talking with your neighbor or whatever. Sometimes we freeze up when we shouldn't. Mm. But in some situations, there are real-life sanctions. We have to remember that Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Hmm. And if we don't live that out, we're going to freeze up when there's no particular consequence other than, well, maybe they won't like me or maybe they'll disagree with me. Hmm. I understand why it's hard for people. It's hard for me sometimes. Hmm. But at the same time, I've stood up in courtrooms and in front of officials a number of times and spoken straight up about what the Bible has to say about the particular topic before us. And nobody blasted me for that. Hmm. I may have lost the case, but the bottom line (laughs) is I wasn't a smoking hole on the ground, you know, for having the audacity to say it. Hmm. So part of it is we have to put on our big boy pants, realize that oftentimes this is a spiritual battle, Hmm. and we have to equip ourselves with spiritual tools. Hmm. If we're afraid to do that, Scripture says, if you're afraid to confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. Yeah. So conduct ourselves accordingly. So I think part of it is just encouraging each other not to be afraid and to stand with each other. We have these kind of opportunities and trust God to carry the baggage. Mm. Well, one of the things that I was most encouraged by at that training session was I thought you had a lot of great insight and wisdom from the podium. But then, like you said, when you opened it up and the audience started saying, well, here's a good question. Here's a good way to get this conversation going. I saw everybody in the room paying attention to everyone else in the room and scribbling down furiously. Oh, that's a great thought. I hadn't thought about that. And so I do think that if we can have these conversations among the body of Christ with fellow believers, like-minded people. I don't think it's just the the pastors and the theologians and the expert apologists on the radio that have all the answers. I think we can be encouraged by those in our church. Those are who are sitting next to us, those who we attend Bible study with. I think a lot of people have a lot of great insight and wisdom and good input into this conversation. I hope that people are having these conversations amongst themselves, because I think there's a lot of answers that they already have. Well, one of the things I decided to do was to have index cards and pens available, because I started each particular topic with, well, here's kind of what God's Word says, and then here's an example of something said on the other side. So I quoted extensively, for example, from the Humanist Manifesto, one and Humanist Manifesto 2. 
And when you take some of those statements, you just realize, well, there's nothing there. That's just a nothing burger. <laughs> and so what happened or what I was trying to get happening is I shared those things that people's minds would start spinning with questions and they yeah. scribble them down so yeah. that when I said, okay, so how would you start a conversation with a question here? People were primed with the questions because they'd already been thinking about them. That worked out better than I had hoped in terms of people being ready and willing to share the questions that occurred to them just in the short time I was talking about that particular subject. Yeah, I think one of the things that I noticed was in the beginning, you kind of gave everyone permission to call out the absurdity of bankrupt ideas, even if they were written in eloquent language and published in popular books and all the rest. And I think sometimes people just need that permission to say, wait a minute, you know, the emperor has no clothes. Are you kidding me? Like you said, that's a nothing sandwich. That statement itself contradicts itself or is self-refuting or it's just empty or it's ridiculous or it's absurd. And people say, yeah, but that's right out of a textbook. That's right out of a college textbook by a famous person. You can't say that that's garbage. And I think a lot of people just need just a little bit of a nudge to say, no, it's okay. It's okay to stand up and just call attention and say, doesn't that seem ridiculous? And it was, especially seeing it in print in black and white up on the big screen. Everybody in the audience just immediately recognized some of those things as just wow, I can't believe anybody actually believes that or follows that or, or you know, respects that. Well, one of the things that resonated with me too as I thought about this talk was it wasn't too many months ago that Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason said, you know what? In decades, I haven't led anybody to Christ. However, there have been thousands of instances where I've raised a question that I describe as a pebble in somebody's shoe that drives them nuts. <laughs> and those people eventually came to faith yeah, because they heard a question that was uncomfortable and they decided to think about it. And part of what that teaches us is we're not going to hit home runs in these types of conversations. We need to hit singles and get people right. thinking about stuff. Right. And if they think about the questions and they go, what do I have to say about that? For most of us, it took time for us to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Hmm. We have to remember that right. instead of saying, okay, I want this person to be down on their knees, sobbing, repenting right on the spot. No, that's not how it goes. Right. I'm glad you re reminded us of that. Sometimes we take on God's responsibility and say, I need to save this person. No, you don't. And you can't. <laughs> That's God's right. work. If God wants to use you to do one thing today, which is just to cause them to think a little deeper, a little more clearly, that's it. And call that a success. That's a huge victory. And so, fantastic. That is great wisdom, Herb. Thank you again for being on the show. I want to remind everyone that we have these monthly training forums you can go to 
theambassadorsforum.com. That's our website. And look up our Friday forum schedule. We've got lots of great speakers addressing lots of great topics. I think the next one is February 18th with Craig Hazen. I think the title is something like all the questions that Christians hope they're never asked or something like this. All these things that we don't think we have the answer to. But I think like we found with Herb's discussion, if we pause just for a moment and think just a little deeper than we typically do, we'll find out we have a lot more answers than we think we have. And the Bible can equip us to do that. So again, thanks for being with us, Herb. Until next time, when maybe you're hosting or you're on again, <laughs> take care. Thanks, Ray. Now, how about you? Do you feel canceled in today's culture as soon as you open your mouth? If your message isn't in line with the approved narrative, do you feel second class or excluded just because you're a Christian or just because you dare profess a belief in the Bible? We can help. Come join us for one of our monthly training forums or check out some of our other helpful resources at our website at theambassadorsforum.com. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 